All right, welcome to our study of Genesis chapter 31. Genesis 31, 1 to 21 for this hour. Jacob's flight. Jacob's flight or, or escape from Laban. Verse 1, 31, 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude, that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats were mating, uh, which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled, for I have seen all that Jacob has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. And Jacob and Leah answered and said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Then Jacob arose and put, on, uh, put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered, his acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be able to study your word. We know it is uh, the true word, and we pray, Lord, that we'll not only understand it, but we will believe it, and we will act upon its truths. Lord, we want to be men of God, and we want um, our lives to count for your kingdom, to impact our families and impact those around us in our churches and in our culture. So teach us your word that we might understand it correctly and then have the courage to act upon what we learn. In Christ, amen. 
In the previous chapter, we learned that Jacob's family increased and then Jacob's prosperity increased uh, providentially by the work of God, the, the ordination of God in his life, in contrast to what Laban, his relative, was trying to do to him and to cheat him. We pick up on that here in chapter 31, 1 to 21, where now Jacob hears the words of Laban's sons, which reflect Laban's thinking. So Laban is saying things to his own sons, and then his sons are circulating this information. Jacob hears of those words, and these are the words in verse 1. Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father he has made all this wealth. These are covetous men and greedy men, and they see that God has tremendously blessed Jacob, not so much Laban and Laban's family. Now, they don't mean literally everything was taken away, but they mean significantly, but they use these words that make it sound like it's everything. And so this is how people do when they exaggerate, right? And that's what they are doing here, giving the impression that all is lost when all is not lost. Well, Jacob hears this and he knows the way people are in their attitude, because it says in verse 2, Jacob saw the attitude of Laban. Notice how the scripture attributes the words of Laban's sons to Laban, because that's the source. To uh, the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Now, even though Laban's attitude has changed, it wasn't entirely good at the beginning. He was exploitative of Jacob at, from the beginning, from the very first of their relationship. But at least he restrained his evil and his words to some degree. But now he is letting it out. His true heart is coming out and coming out of his mouth, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is what's happening in his case. And his attitude and Potentially, his actions toward Jacob are going to worsen. We already know in the 20 years that he was there, Jacob was there with him, that it wasn't a good situation. But whatever was bad in 20 years is about to become worse. Then, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now Jacob hears this word from God, an oracle from God, to leave. We might have asked, why did he stay there for 20 years? Why didn't God make him leave sooner? Well, partially, it was the will of God for him to stay there 20 years. And that's the ultimate reason. But the other reason, the secondary reason or secondary cause, had to do with how Jacob married both of the daughters of Laban. He only wanted one of them, but he ends up marrying both. And then he has to serve six years to gain some wealth. And to, he made that arrangement in chapter 30. So all of this are the human or secondary causes or reasons why Jacob stayed there for 20 years. But now God's telling him, return, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Now, this land we know to be 
the land of Canaan. Not the land of Mesopotamia or southern Mesopotamia, where ultimately Terah and Abraham and others lot, they originated from there. But by this point, God calls it the land of your fathers because Abraham has been there. Isaac was born there and even Jacob was born there in the land of Canaan. And most importantly, God's promises were given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that they and their descendants would possess this land. So by promise, it belonged to Abraham and his descendants, not to the Canaanites. So he is by this phrase, the land of your fathers, reminding Jacob of the word of God or the promises of God through his word. And he assures him, I will be with you. I will be with you. We know what Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here, God is customarily telling his people, I will be with you. So do not fear. Don't have any anxieties. Don't be overcome. Don't act illogically and irrationally. I will be with you. You belong to me, and I will take care of you. I will protect you. Jacob believes these words. Look at verse 4. From verses 4 and following, 4 to 16, it's basically 4 to 16 is Jacob conveying to Rachel and Leah what God told him and what God intends for them. Verses 4 to 16. Jacob in dialogue with his wives, Rachel and Leah. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. Verse 4, to his flock in the field. We see from verse 33, Jacob has a tent, Leah has a tent, and even Rachel has a tent. But instead of going from tent to tent and perhaps having others overhear this dialogue, he calls them to the field because he needs to say it confidentially, secretly. He calls his two wives to the field where others will not hear. And this is a part of the the secret departure that he has to undergo from Laban in order to be able to ensure that he escapes. Now, I think in this passage that he is not doing it sinfully. He's doing it because this is the prescribed way to do it, to escape being stopped And to escape any conflict, to escape any violent conflict, this is the way to do it. Jacob does it this way. This is why he calls for his wives in the field. Verse 5, and said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. Which statement is true? We heard that in verse 2. And now we see it again in verse 5 that Laban's attitude isn't as it was, but God is with us. He announces that the God of my father has been with me because they would have heard from Jacob and however else, especially from Jacob, what happened in the life of Isaac, how God had been with Isaac. And now they, knowing those truths, are here confirmed with Jacob 
that since God has been with me all this while, he will continue to be with me. Assuring them that they should have the same faith that he has. Or trying to convince them that they should have the same faith that he has. Six, and you know that I have served your father with all my strength. Now, he presents a truth, a fact, a fact of integrity, a fact of humility, that he has been honest and diligent to serve their father and be an honest and righteous man, and no one could deny it. His two wives don't deny it, but his two wives are reminded that God spoke to Jacob. Jacob has been faithful for the last 20 years. So what Jacob is about to announce to them, they should consider seriously as true and that they should obey it. Because what could could have happened in their case? They could have said, it's better to stay here with our father than to go with you, our husband. Sometimes those things happen, right? And so in this case, he's trying to prevent it by telling them what they need to hear, telling the truth to them. And in verse 6, Jacob is not boasting. He's not being arrogant by telling his wives or reminding his wives about his own honest character. That's not arrogance when you announce something that it has a, a relationship to a conflict or a relationship to a dilemma that we face. It's not considered arrogance to do so. Uh, a common example would be in the book of Acts. Acts chapters 21 to 28, whenever the Apostle Paul is dragged before the authorities, whether the Jewish authorities or Roman authorities, he defends himself, he tells them that he has a clear conscience, and he tells them the kind of behavior he has and the kind of faith he has, and he exhorts them to quit accusing him of doing wrong. And that's not arrogance. This is what Jacob does here. Verse 7. In contrast to Jacob's faithfulness, notice uh, verse 7, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. Cheated me. I have been an honest man, man of integrity, but your father has cheated me. To see the most recent example, chapter 30. How he attempted to cheat Jacob, but God did not allow that. As it says in verse 7, God did not allow him to hurt me. Which means the actions Jacob took in the preceding chapters to ensure his own prosperity and his own interests, they were not selfish interests. They were righteous interests. And God blessed Jacob's actions. God did not allow him to hurt me. When it says 10 times, it is likely a figure of speech for many times. A figure of speech for many times and not necessarily literally 10 times. For example, it says in Leviticus 26, 26, when I break your staff of bread 
Ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread in rationed amounts, so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Ten women baking in one oven. That is, many women, several women, making use of one resource to be able to provide for their families. In the same way, I think this is what he means. Um, now, it could have been literally ten times two, because in, in the six years, at least in the last six years, the, the flocks would have been mating twice a year, again, giving birth twice a year. And so it is possible, as he describes it, um, that he would change his wages, meaning that twice a year, or at least twice uh, or ten times in the 12 times it could have happened, that Laban approached Jacob and changed the deal. Uh, he saw, oh, all of these are coming, are being birthed in this way. Well, no, let's not do it. Next, next season, we're going to do it this other way. And then when he sees it reverses, then he changes his mind. He said, no, no, we're going to do it the other way again. Back and forth, back and forth. And Jacob went along with it all. He put up with it all patiently with him. Okay, and that's what he's describing in verse 8. The spe- if, if he spoke thus, the speckle shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckle. And if he spoke thus, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth stripe. But, though Laban had evil intentions, and Jacob was being oppressed, cheated, it says in verse 9 again, Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. This is a lesson in the book of Genesis throughout. Especially we know the famous example of Joseph. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. 50 verse 20. And this also works for us. Romans 8, 28. And God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 10. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, Lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. Why? A key word is found here. Right. Why did it turn out that way? The animals do what the animals do, right? Wicked men like Laban do what they want to do. Righteous men like Jacob respond to the wickedness in the right way. But ultimately, verse 12, why is it happening this way? For... Because I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God turns evil into good for his people. Not for everybody at all times, but for his people at all times. He turns evil into good. It's God. We also notice in verse 13, he calls... This angel of God in verse 11, in verse 13, he says, I am the God of Bethel. And in verse 13, 
made a vow to me. If you use the NASB, New American Standard Bible, in verse 13, vow to me, the M of me is probably a capital M. And that means that the NASB translators, editors think that this me is a divine person. And I think they are correct. After all, in verse 13, he says, I am the God of Bethel. Bethel was the place in chapter 28 where God met, and also there, also likely, the angel of God in the same way as this one here in the dream. I am the God of Bethel. He encountered Jacob there. Jacob named the place Bethel, calling it house of God, because he said, God is here, and I didn't know it. I didn't realize it. So that's where he also made the vow and anointed the pillar. So clearly, this is a divine person. Also notice in um, verse 11, when, we, when the Old Testament, usually, when it mentions the angel of the Lord, or in this case, the angel of God, in contexts like these, where it's clear in the passage that a divine person is speaking, then we have to consider that this is an, a pre-incarnate appearance, either in a dream or actually face-to-face, with the patriarchs. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In this case, it says in the dream, but often it is also on the earth in a personal encounter, like it was in Genesis 18 with Abraham and Sarah. To confirm this point, look at Genesis 48. Genesis 48, 15. Genesis 48, 15 and 16. 15 and 16. Jacob, he blesses Joseph, his son. Jacob blesses Joseph, his son. The same Jacob as our passage in Genesis 31. And this is what Jacob says. Verse 15, And he, Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, May the God who has been my, li- uh, been my shepherd all my life to this day. May the angel who has redeemed me from all evil bless the lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He twice calls on God to bless the lads, his grandsons. And then in verse 16, in parallel form, in poetic parallelism, he calls the God of verse 15, the angel, right. meaning the uncreated angel, Christ, pre-incarnate Christ. John 1:18. no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That is, Christ has, has explained the Father because no one sees the Father, but they do see the Son. And, and Jacob knew this. He knew it. Further, back in Genesis thirty-one thirteen, it says that Jacob anointed a pillar. He anointed a pillar. And this confirms... Now, this anointing and the vow 
after he saw the dream, Genesis 28, that the anointing of the pillar and the vow that he made were according to the will of God. He did not make a sinful vow, and he did not sinfully or in some pagan way anoint the pillar with oil. In 28.18 it says, So Jacob, or Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put by his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. Then in 31.13, God commends him, Where you anointed a pillar... So that anointing was on purpose. And remember, when rituals take place in the Old and even in the New Testament, our two rituals are the Lord's Supper and immersion by water, right? Or ordinances, those are our two. Well, when we do those and whatever else in the Old Testament, they are not devoid of the person and work of Christ. In one way or another, what we do reflects the person and work of Christ. And in this way, Christ, he is called the anointed one, or literally Christ or Messiah, which both words mean anointed one. Furthermore, we have a confirmation that the vow he made in verse 13, 31, 13, was a good vow because God commends him here, where you made a vow to me. So because it was a good vow, a valid one, therefore it's time for its fulfillment. You made the vow that upon your return, you would dedicate to me, it says here, of all that you have, or of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he is about to fulfill this. And also he will have confirmation in 28, 21. And if he returns to his father's house in safety, he says, then the Lord will be my God. Then he says in 31, 13, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. So this is the oracle that the uncreated angel of God gave to Jacob. Jacob relates this oracle to his wives. In this case, he needs the cooperation of his wives. We know that that is the immediate need. But this pattern of God isn't a new pattern where the man of God or the husband is to hear and study and know the word of God and then to teach it accurately to his wife and children. This started with Adam and Eve in the garden because God gave the first commandment to Adam and she was not created yet. Eve was not created yet. If you read Genesis 2, 15 to 25, she was not created yet in that sequence of events. So Adam had to teach Eve. Whether he didn't teach her correctly or she misheard or she even heard correctly, and brazenly dis, um, disobeyed. We don't know exactly the, the, what happened, but something went amiss along the way. And that's why they both fell into sin. And in this case, Jacob, he hears the word of God and he's teaching his wives and encouraging them to follow him. And they do, Fourteen, verse 14. 
And Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Okay, the one problem is that their own father did not give them a dowry, but just used them as payment as a wage. Payment and wage without giving them a gift or a dowry to enter into the marriage with Jacob. So they treated, uh, he treated them just like a commodity in that sense. That's what they are complaining about, rightfully so. Then in 16, surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Furthermore, in 16, whatever Laban was trying to do to cheat Jacob, and by extension, his own daughters, God took away. They acknowledged that God took it all away from their own father and gave it to their husband, Jacob. Now it belongs to us, but it had to come to us through affliction, but it still now it belongs to us. And we realize that God is working through all this. Do whatever God has said to you. So they, with eagerness, understand the situation and desire to follow their husband, which is the right response. This is the kind of response we have to pray for and work for as men. Know the word and then teach it accurately and pray that our wives and children respond favorably. Okay, then 17 to 21. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. He does so, and presumably there is uh, there's some distance between them because both of them had plenty of livestock, They couldn't all be grazing near each other. They couldn't be cared for together. They have to keep some days separation between them. And uh, three days separation was something that they had done earlier. Okay? So this is how he could have collected all of his people and possessions to be able to leave without Laban knowing about it initially. And why does he do it? Because he doesn't want... Laban to stop him like he has stopped him, impeded his work in the past. He didn't want it to happen now. And also, he didn't want there to be any anger or rage meted out from Laban to Jacob, either verbally, but especially physically. He's trying to prevent all of that. 19. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's, And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. The hill country of Gilead, this is in the northern part of the land of Canaan. He he goes away secretly. Um, He didn't tell Laban. And then in verse 19, Rachel stole the household idols 
that were her father's. This will come up later and we'll comment more on it later when we reach verses uh, 33 to 35. 33 to 35. To answer why perhaps she did so. All right, so Jacob and his family are ready to obey God and they undertake to do so in the face of opposition. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.